Welcome this morning uh, to our service. Um, thinking of our last song that we were singing this morning, I'm no longer a slave to fear because I'm a child of God. Uh, think about those words for a moment. I'm no longer a slave to fear. We know as Christians, we know as Christians that fear is not limited to fear. We know as Christians, God has um, delivered us from a range of things, whether that be fear, whether that be uh, anger, uh, whether that be um, resentment, uh, lust, unforgiveness. God has, God has worked a, a miracle in many areas of our lives so that he could set us free from these things. And um, I look at that, I look at that and I think, wow, what a merciful God. What a merciful God. Like, why do that? Why bother? When the children of Israel cried out to God in the Old Testament, when they cried out to God, they cried out to God not because they were sad. They cried out to God because they were in bondage. They cried out to God because it was like, what am I going to do? How are we going to get out of this situation? How are we going to get ourselves out of this mess? So they cried out to God, and God looked down and said this, I hear their cry. What a merciful God. God looked down at his people who were in bondage and didn't say, didn't necessarily say, I see their difficulties, I see their struggles. He said, I hear their cry. And because of that, he purposed to deliver them from the place of bondage. And he did, because he can. And he did it when it was the right time. I look at that and I think to myself, what a merciful God. What a merciful God. To do these things for us is something undeserving. Yes. Yet he does it because it is good and it will give him glory. And he loves to see his people free. He loves to see them set free. That they may go and live life now the way he purposed for them to live. And that is to align themselves with the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and for the glory of the Lord. This now is mercy. And this morning, we're going to look at a few passages that really begin to unpack, if you like, this wonderful gift that God has given us that really, for the Christians, should do nothing else but to cause in us a great and deep desire to know God more, to run to Him faster, and to live for Him even deeper. Because that's, that's what we uh, experience when we understand the goodness and the mercy of God. The mercy of God does not excuse sin. The mercy of God releases you from sin. The mercy of God doesn't cover sin. The mercy of God breaks the power of sin. And what it does for us all of a sudden, it brings us to an understanding of who God is, listen, and what we ought to be to one another. This is, this is rich. It's rich. And we're going to look at some passages to help, help us understand that even more. So God is a merciful God. And we see this scattered through all the scriptures. And we're going to turn to a few passages. So you might need to get your Bibles ready and your fingers ready to go through some of the passages. Um, and um, hopefully I won't go too fast for you. But the per- first passage I want you to go to is in 1 
Chronicles. We're going to look in the Old Testament. We're going to look at a couple of passages in the Old Testament. And then we're going to move our way into the New, possibly. And just see how, what God is doing in this. First Chronicles, First Chronicles chapter 21. First Chronicles, just after the kings in the Old Testament. You'll see this passage here is a beautiful passage where you see a problem and you see mercy. You see, a real problem, not just by anybody, but a real problem that it was experienced by the king, David himself. And he had a problem because what happened was, is he was moved, he was moved to number his people. He was moved to count his people. Let's count the people. And though his own people were saying to him, David, what are you doing? We don't do this. What are you doing counting the people? He said, no, 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 I want to count the people. And he was moved to do this. Now, we're not going to get into why he did it and what the problem was and why God didn't like what he did. I'm not, not, that's not the focus of this morning. What I want to focus on is he went and he did it, even though God was displeased with what he did. And then he got himself in this problem. He realized what he did was wrong. And God said, what you did was wrong. And God said, I need to do something about this. I'm going to discipline you for this. I'm going to discipline you for what you did. Oh, okay. The whole world's going to read about his discipline now. I'm going to discipline about what you did. So God, knowing that he needs to discipline the king and make sure that he gets this right, and the whole world is going to read about this. I wonder in God's mind what he's thinking. When the whole world reads about the way I disciplined King David, what do I want them to take away from this? How am I going to be more glorified through this discipline? What he did was wrong. How am I going to be more glorified in what I do for him so that the world may see the goodness of God and the world may want to come to me? I've got to do it. I might as well use it for something, I guess. Could have been the thoughts of God. So we have this passage here and we pick up the passage when God is about to issue his discipline of David. And from verse 7, from chapter 21 of 1 Chronicles, the Bible says, And God was displeased with this thing. Therefore he struck Israel. So David said to God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing. But now I pray, take Away the iniquity of your servants, for I have done very foolishly. Ever felt like that before? Ever been in a place where you've come before the Lord and you thought to yourself, my goodness, what have I done? What have I done? I don't know, is there anyone among us this morning who is in that spot now? You think to yourself, what have I done? Or what am I doing? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why did I do what I did? Why am I still in this place? Why do I still going back to this thing? Why do I continue to be bound to those things that are destroying me? So he comes before God and he acknowledges something very, very serious. And, he, and he's very serious about his acknowledgement. He says, I have done very foolishly. Then the Lord spake to Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, saying, Thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. I mean, 
That just blows my mind away. Why would God even want to offer three things? Why would God even want to negotiate the discipline? Well, at the end of the day, because something in this is going to glorify God. Choose one of them for yourselves and I may do it to you. It's interesting. It's almost like, would a parent do that? It's like, with like tonight's parenting seminar. Would you do that? Come, you're in trouble. I'm going to give you three options. You pick the one you want. And David, God says to David, I want, I want you to choose. I want you to choose. So Gad came to David and said to him, Thus says the Lord, choose for yourself either three years of famine or three months to be defeated by your foes with the sword of your enemies overtaking you, or else for three days the sword of the Lord, the plague in the land, with the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. Now consider what answer I should take back to him who sent me. I don't know, what would you choose? Would you choose, which ones of the three would you choose? Would you choose the three years of famine? Would you choose the three months defeated by your enemies? Or would you choose three days under the hand of the Lord? Interesting. Depending how you see things. It seems in David's heart, he was very quick in his response. He understood something that I think is very insightful and something that we need to understand this morning. We must grasp this. We must grasp this because it not only changes the way we see God, but it also must change the way we relate to one another. And David's response is this. And David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let me fall into the hand of the Lord. For his mercies are very great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. That's remarkable. What David understood about God is that there's one thing he can use definitely about the Lord is that his mercy, when God was merciful, he was truly merciful. One thing he knew about God, when God wanted to show mercy, he did it the way mercy was intended to be done. That God wasn't going to somehow cut corners on mercy. God wasn't somehow going to filter mercy with other things. And so David said this, Please don't let me fall into the hands of men. Because I can't trust men. I don't know what they're going to do to me. They'll come saying, we'll look after you and then they'll destroy me. They'll come saying, you know, we've got your back and then they'll stab me. But let me fall into the hands of God. Because if God is going to be merciful, then I am in the safest place I can ever be. Please, let it, let it be that. And God did that. God allowed him, God allowed him to come under the judgment of God. He suffered consequences with thousands of people still being killed as a result of what he did. Because remember, mercy doesn't excuse sin. Yeah, He still felt the consequences of what he did. But boy, God stopped it short because he saw what was going on. He said, enough. <laughs> and David's heart and understanding of God came to fruition. This is the mercy of God. The mercy of God to somehow weave together judgment and mercy so that you could be restored and released. 
Not excuse it, but when he sees repentance to be able to bring into this a kind of judgment that is filled with mercy so that you know the mercy and the love of God that you may walk away a new man or a new woman freed now from the things that bound you. Wow, this is mercy. Why do people feel so good about judgment? I don't know, what is it? Why do people feel good about judging other people? What is it when you somehow, you find someone's done something and this, this kind of feeling inside maybe that you think, oh, look what they did, or did you hear what they did? And, and somehow there's this kind of uh, 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 pleasure in understanding people's sins. Why do people do that? You know, when you watch shows about crimes of people, and you think, oh, look what he did, oh, look at that. And, they can, and there's this kind of pleasure in understanding people's sins so that somehow they've been caught out. Why is it that people are like this? Because in us, there is something in our nature that kind of is, finds it somehow pleasurable. It's called sin. We find it somehow pleasurable that we would actually entertain ourselves with the errors and the mistakes and the sins and the habits of other people. So when Adam was walking through the garden, and those famous words, Adam, where are you? Where are you? Adam was caught out. Adam was found out because he ate and did something God said to him, do not do. I wonder how Adam felt. He was hiding himself. Where are you, Adam? Where are you? I know what you've done, but where are you? Why don't you come to me? Your own shame has made you run away from me. Why am I even calling out to you? Because I want to restore this, Adam. I want to fix this, Adam. I want you to know something about my mercy, but I want to deal with what you've done first. So we're not like that. We say, where are you, Adam? Because we want somehow to pass judgments. We caught you, Adam. We found you out, Adam. We are disappointed with you, Adam. Adam, why, should, why did you do that? But God's not like that. You see, it's like when I was a kid, we had this word. I don't know, what, I don't know where we got this word from, but it was a phrase we used to say, Amar. I don't know, did you used to use that phrase? And it wasn't what you said, it was how you said it. So if I got caught doing something or I caught someone else doing something, I'd say, Amar. You know, like you're in trouble now. You know, you're, you're, you, you got busted. You know, you got busted. And kids are funny because what kids do, maybe adults do the same, what kids do is that they'll actually not only they'll go another step and they'll even put the blame on someone else because they don't want to take the blame themselves. Which is what Adam did. But there's this something in us that kind of finds uh, a pleasure in, in catching someone out or, find, or realizing someone's, someone's done something. But, but uh, God's not like that. God calls it for what it is because he wants, to, he wants to find you restored and released from this. He calls it mercy. It's undeserved. Nothing you can do deserved it other than when he sees repentance in your heart and a sorrow and a remorse in your heart and repentance. You come before him and boy, we need it every day. And God, we come before God and God sees the condition of our heart and says, I will be merciful to them because I hear the cry of their heart. And so David knew this about God because he knew God was merciful. 
He understood something of the mercy of God. He knew I would rather have this than man because man, the mercy of man is spotted by the nature of man. The mercy of man is spotted by things like revenge or hatred or bitterness or unforgiveness or, or some kind of um, uh, wish uh, that's, that's not godly. The, man, the mercy of man is spotted by these things. And David says, I don't want that. I just want God's pure mercy. Let me come under his judgment, but I know if it's merciful, I'm going to be okay. And now I believe, brothers and sisters... That when we understand more and more of the mercy of God and we understand more and more and we experience the mercy of God, then we become that to one another. Because the Bible says this, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You see, it's wonderful because once we understand more and more that we ourselves had nothing else than the mercy of God, we were left stranded, lost, lonely, destitute, and the mercy of God came all of a sudden it came so we could be restored and now we can become people of this mercy to one another. Scripture's full of this. Let me give you some examples. Turn with me please to Psalm 136. God is so in love with this idea and the psalmist was so in love with this idea that they devoted a whole chapter to this, which we're not going to read this morning because it will take us too long. But I want to show you something as to how much God loves this idea of mercy and how much the psalmist understood and loved this idea of mercy. Psalm 136. I want you to see the pattern of this psalm. Now, some of you know what I'm going to do now. Some of you understand why I've taken you to this psalm. But I want you to see, if you haven't seen this psalm before, I want you to consider what the psalmist is doing because what he's doing is he's tapping into the heart of God and somehow wants us to remember and to understand something of the mercy of God. And he says this. Let me read you just a few of the verses. I give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. I give thanks to the God of gods, for His mercy endures forever. I give thanks to the Lord of lords, for His mercy endures forever. To Him who alone does great wonders, for His mercy endures forever. To Him who by wisdom made the heavens, for His mercy endures forever. And it goes on and on and on. 26 times in that psalm, it gives us something to think about. And then it says, for his mercy endures forever. Now, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm a simple man. But I've got, got a feeling that the psalmist wanted us to remember something here. That his mercy endures forever. And this morning, listen carefully. If you sit here this morning and you say this to yourself... Why have I done this thing that is very foolish? Then I'm telling you this morning that his mercy endures forever. And his mercy doesn't come and say, oh, you know what, I'm going to kind of loosen the chains for you so you can kind of feel a bit, oh, a bit more re relaxed. No, he says, I want to come and release the chains from you so that you can be restored and released to go and serve him. This is the mercy that endures forever. 
And the psalmist tells us this again and again and again so that we today can understand just how great his mercy is and we can go and be likewise to other people. Listen, if you were going to make a list of all the people in your life at the moment or all the people who have been in your life that have either irritated you, offended you, upset you, the people you're trying to avoid, the people who somehow got under your skin, the people who seem to easily get under your skin. If you're going to make a list of all these people, how long would that list be? 26 points, maybe? 26 names, maybe? One for every verse in Psalm 136? Every person that you know somehow has offended you or irritated you, or has upset you, or hurt you, or somehow is capable of annoying you more quickly than other people, how long would that list be? And I tell you this, brothers and sisters, His mercy endures forever. God is calling us to not imitate a man's version of mercy, but His version. But His version. That's not spotted with revenge, or hate, or uh, uh, wishful thinking or, or some bitterness, but it's pure wanting them to know the Lord. Listen, mercy doesn't excuse sin. This is what mercy does. Mercy points that person to Jesus who is going to free them from their sin. Do you understand? That's why we're merciful. It points them to Jesus who wants to free them from their sin. That's why the story of the woman caught in adultery is so amazing. Because all they were wanting to do was to point out her sin. Yeah, What Jesus was wanting to do was to point her back to the one who was going to free her from her sin. That's why it's merciful. Was he excusing her sin? Not at all. But he was pointing her to a place that was going to free her from her sin. That's mercy. That's mercy. And so when the psalmist speaks about this, he understands this because we are called to do likewise. How long is that list? Now I ask you are, you, are you a merciful person? Or do you like, listen, or do you like, do you enjoy pointing out people's habits, people's mistakes, people's sins, people's problems, people's issues? Do you enjoy doing that? Oh, may not, maybe not verbally, but do you enjoy it? And rather than imitate the mercy of God that wants to come and set them free. That's why the, 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 the mercy is so beautiful because it is both undeserved and something someone can't do for themselves. It's like um, when you see man begging for bread and he can't feed himself, you show mercy by giving him bread because he can't do it for himself. It's like the man also who's done something, he's been caught out and he's done something very, very wrong and you know there's no doubt whatsoever that what he did, so what was suggested that he did it and yet you come and step in and say, I'll show you mercy. That's why the man on the cross is such an amazing story, the one that's um, hung by Jesus, because what he said to Jesus was this. Sorry, what he said to the other guy was this. We are being punished for things we've done, but not this man. So Jesus said, then he says to Jesus, please remember me. And Jesus chooses to have mercy on him. Listen carefully. This man could not do anything to prove that he was genuine or that he was grateful for the mercy of God. 
He had no time to prove that. Yet Jesus says, I don't care. I want to show you mercy. You don't have to prove to me anything. You don't have to show me whether you really mean it or not. What I see in you is a desire that you need something that I can give you and I'm going to be merciful to you. Why do we say that? Why would in our hearts would we say, oh, you know, I'll show you mercy, but if I show you mercy, I'm expecting this from you. Mercy doesn't act like that. Mercy is the mercy of God that points people to Jesus and Jesus deals with them. You live mercifully. You live in a way that is full of mercy toward them. Does mercy excuse sin? No, I told you that. Does mercy excuse judgment? No, it doesn't do that. Mercy has judgment and truth and righteousness all tied up with it. But it's not spotted by selfishness. It's not spotted by humanness. It's not spotted by carnality. Do you understand? It's full of the mercy of God. That's why the Bible says this. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. This is what the Bible says in uh, verse 35. Verse 35. But love your enemies. Love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you'll be the sons of the Most High. For he's kind to the unthankful and to the evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. How amazing is that? Jesus is describing something of the kingdom of God. He's describing what people are. He wants them to love their enemies. He wants them to do good. He wants them to lend. He wants them to lend, not thinking, you know, if I lend, I'm going to get something back. Because that's not the heart of God. What he's doing is revealing the heart of God to people. He's saying, if you want to follow me, you need to follow me the way I follow my Father. I want to show you the heart of God here. I want, you to show, I want you to see what it means to really live life freely. Don't lend hoping that if I lend, I'm going to get something back. And then he goes on and he talks about the reward will be great in heaven. And be kind also because he's kind to the unthankful and the evil. And all these things that work against us as Christians, all those things that work against us as humans, he's saying, I want you to do the opposite to this. I don't want you to live life guided by your own carnal desires. What I want you to do is I want you to live life guided by the Christ-likeness, the thing that God has revealed in his Son. And so this is what he wants you to do. Be merciful, therefore, like your Father in heaven is merciful. Okay, that tells me be merciful in the way that David described the Father back in the story we read. Be merciful like your Father in heaven is merciful. I don't know about you, but I don't know how we can exist resisting this kind of mercy. I don't know how we can exist. Not just the mercy that we have found ourselves in having to do. You know those situations where someone does something and you think, okay, I've got to be merciful here. Yeah? But mercy that we go looking out to do. 
Like in other words, we see, we see something. It doesn't involve us necessarily, but we see a, a broken situation. We see someone with a broken heart. We see someone who is in pain. And so we, don't, we can avoid it, but the people of God's, God's heart look for opportunities to be merciful rather than pass judgment to find ways to find out what is happening so that they can shed the mercy of God upon them and bring them, point them to Jesus who's going to set them free, who's going to release them, who's going to restore them, who's going to help them when he sees repentance, remorsefulness in their hearts. He's going to help them. He wants them to be restored to him. How do we exist without this? The Bible tells us, what's this in... um, Back in the Old Testament, it says, For through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because His compassions, they never fail. They are new every morning. No wonder why He ends by saying, Great is your faithfulness. Because without this, without this kind of mercy, we're going we're gonna, to um, be destroyed. And listen carefully, without it with one another, we're going to destroy each other. Because this is why the Bible, the New Testament, is full of instruction that insists on us being merciful to each other. Because without it, you will destroy one another. And if you are not prepared to be a person of mercy, then the church of God is not for you. Very simple. If you are a person that is going to continue to find fault and, 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 and something negative about someone, if you're going to, if you're going to, look, if you're going to have pleasure in, in finding uh, error and, and point out their mistakes and you're going to find reasons to somehow hold grudges and, and, and be resistant to connecting, then the church of God is not for you. Very simple. Just call it what it is. It's very simple. I'm not telling you to come, not come. I'm just telling you that the church of God is a place for people who have experienced the mercy of God and know how to show this to other people. Okay, that says to me, what I'm going to see is a place of healing and restoration. That's what I'm going to see. I'm going to see a place that understands God's heart to bring people to full salvation. Because you know what? If I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing, I know it in my heart. My conscience tells me that. And so what I need is the mercy of God that says it is wrong and I'm going to set you free from this. Look how um, beautifully tied in it is with truth. The Bible tells us, don't turn to it, I'll just read to you. The Bible tells us in Proverbs, it says, Let not mercy, listen carefully, let not mercy and truth forsake you. Leave the two together. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your hearts. And so find favour and high esteem in the sight of God and of man. I love that verse. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. In other words, be careful every day because your temptation as people is to do this, is to somehow lose grip of mercy and somehow lose grip of truth. And so you need to bring the two together and say, don't let them forsake you. Be people who know the heart of God, who loves mercy and loves truth and and be so committed to it that you bind them around the neck and you write them on the tablet of your heart. They will never leave you. They define you. 
They tell people who you are. Oh, this man, he's a Christian. Oh, yeah, mercy and truth. Oh, does he compromise? (laughs) Compromise is a man of truth. Oh, okay, so he must be pretty hard. No, 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 he's a man of mercy. I I, I don't get it because because it's Jesus. Do you get it? Who is able to somehow speak words of truth filled with words of mercy that we are drawn no other place than to our knees. Don't let it forsake you. If bitterness creeps in, if anger creeps in, if judgment creeps in, if hurt creeps in, then all you're doing is you're taking off that around your neck. You're erasing it from your heart. The people of God understand what the Scripture says about mercy, that it's an act of God, it's a selfless act, and listen carefully, it is not an option. I don't want it to be an option because without it, we're destroyed. Without it, we're going to destroy each other. Just like without it, we would be destroyed by God. So, the Bible says this. I'll read it to you. I'm about to finish. The Bible says this. In the New Testament, in Colossians, it says, Therefore, as the elect of God, yeah, if we call ourselves the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on... Put on tender mercies. Look at that. Before anything else. As the, as the beloved of God, put on tender mercies. Kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Listen, he's going somewhere with this. Listen carefully. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also you must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. If I've got a problem, if I've made a mistake, I want to be able to know that I come to a place where I can go up to my brother and say, Brother, I've done foolishly. And then I want to know that in his heart, the very first thing he's going to do is going to think in his mind, how can I show mercy? Because you know what? Then I go, I'm free. I go and, we, and we, we talk, we share, we pray, we cry, we love. Do we compromise truth? No. Because that's why I went to him. Because I want to sort it out. As he pat me on the back, oh, I'm, so, I'm, such, I'm such a merciful brother. It's okay, brother. It's all right. I'm such a no. I don't want that. I don't want to be pat on the back and say you're okay to stay as you are because God loves you. I don't want that. Jesus didn't die on the cross to give me that. Jesus died on the cross to set me free from that. But what I need is mercy in truth so I can be set free. Now, I don't know about you, because sometimes I can't do it alone. But to not to have anyone I can go to because I fear judgment above mercy is a problem. There's a problem there. It's not Christ-like. It's not instructed in the Scriptures. What I read in the Scriptures is a put, put on tender mercy. So, so again, Matthew, Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Isn't it interesting? 
Why do we find it so hard to give the very thing we want so much ourselves? We want it so much, and yet we wrestle so much to give it. God is waiting to give it to us. God is waiting to show his mercy. I read a story about a king who suffered a lot from rebellious people. But one day, these rebellious people, they surrendered all their weapons and they threw themselves at his feet and they begged for mercy. He forgave them all. And one of his friends said to the king, didn't you say that every rebel, every rebel should die? The king turns around and says, yeah, but I don't see any rebels here. I don't see any rebels here. Truth and mercy. And I see that and I think, wow, that's the image of Christ. Therefore, it must become the image of the church. This morning, beloved, if you have done foolishly, I'd love to say to you, come and talk to me, and I'm all ears, I'm hoping, I, I, I think I can listen okay to you, and I encourage you, come and talk. But before I say that to you, I want to say to you, come to Jesus. If you've done foolishly, then there's one place, there's one person who will listen now to you. He's full of mercy. Who wants to restore? Who wants to release? Who wants to find pardon so you can go and be a free man, a free woman, doing that which God wants from you now to do? And if someone comes to you, beloved, who has offended you, or someone comes to you wanting to confess something to you, or someone, someone comes to you, or you see something from a distance that you know someone is hurt or in pain, go and approach it in a way that points them to Jesus. Bring them to Jesus. Let the mercy of God smother them, that they may know the goodness and the freedom that is in Christ. This is the church. And if we are here, we are here because we want to imitate Christ. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Let me pray. Father God, you are a father of mercies, Lord. And your mercies are new every morning. Because your compassions are great, Lord, we are not consumed. And because your mercy is so entrenched in our hearts, we do not consume one another. Father, I pray if there's any bitterness or hate or unforgiveness in the hearts of anyone in this place, that by your mercy, Lord, you may show them a glimpse of what you have done for them. And that they may extend this out to others. Father, we live and we breathe because of your mercy. And Father, we must, we must live and breathe your mercy as well. So Lord, we pray for this place, for your people, that in everything we do, we are driven by the heart of God. We thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.